I'd like to begin by just saying a word of thank you to those of you who are um, participating in this teaching via a recording. It's great to have you together with us in this. I wonder if it would be okay with you if we would start with a word of prayer and commit this time to the Lord. May we do that? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are here in your name and we desire everything that we do and say to be for your glory. So thank you that we can commit this time to you, the recording technicalities that we're dealing with, the words that will be spoken, the words that have been written. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill this whole activity and use it to bring glory to the name of Jesus and the advancement of his kingdom on earth. We thank you together, our blessed Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in this session, we want to think together for a few moments on the subject of submission and how submission relates to the life of a leader and to the process of developing future leaders, submission. And we've come now to chapter four in a book on leadership, and the name of the book is Leaders Following. So we don't usually think of leaders following. We think of leaders leading and other people following leaders. So where did this title, Leaders Following, come from? Well, we are modeling our understanding of leadership on the leadership of Jesus. And so we who lead in his name are actually following him. So one of the most foundational realities about leadership and learning leadership and passing leadership on to others is to learn how to follow Jesus. We lead by following him, leaders following. And so we've come to chapter four now, and we are talking about submission. So again, when we think of leadership, we might not automatically think about submission, or when we do, we might think of well, if I'm a leader, that means other people are submitting to me. And there's a component of that that's true. But what we are suggesting is that submission is actually a crucial component in the development of us as leaders and in the development of those whom we may be called to raise up as leaders. Submission. So what has submission got to do with leadership? Leadership involves exercising authority. So when God begins to train a leader, what is he training us for? He's training us to carry authority. Now, to carry authority for God is, on the one hand, a beautiful thing, a necessary thing, a powerful thing. We can't do without it. But on the other hand, it has its dangers. So... To be ready to carry authority, we have to be prepared to be able to carry the responsibility of authority. And one who has not shown readiness to submit to authority is not yet ready to exercise authority. Let me say that again. If I am unable or if I have not demonstrated the ability to submit to authority, then I'm not yet ready to carry authority. 
Submission is a quality of personal relationships. How do we relate to one another? Well, submission belongs to that category. Submission does not require that we agree on everything. It's really an important thing for us to understand because submission can easily be misunderstood and the whole subject of submission, particularly in Christian circles, but in other circles as well, has been used to violate people and to be unkind and unchristlike to people. So it's really crucial that we understand what we mean by submission. In submission, what does submission mean? Submission means we yield to another person's right to their own decisions. Uh, now, the whole question of interrelating with people, there are two really important concepts, I think, for us to understand. First of all is the demand. So if I want you to do something, one thing I can do is demand that you do it. Now, the problem with demand, when I demand that you do something, I am dishonoring your God-given right to your own decisions. I am overriding your right, your freedom to your own decisions. Demand. The other way we relate to one another in this context is request. So if I make a request of you, then I am honoring your right for your, to make your own decisions and Inherent in doing that, I am submitting to your answer. So when I request that you do something, I'm offering you and acknowledging your right to say no. And if you say no, I accept that. I submit to that. I honor that. In submission, we yield to another person's right to their own decisions. Submission does not require me to do everything someone wants me to do. This is another misunderstanding that people get with submission. Does submission mean every single thing I ask you to do or demand you do, you have to do? No, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that. Well, if not, what does it mean? It calls me, when I receive a request, to give it respectful consideration. For example, if you ask me to do something, I submit to you by honoring your request, thinking about it, considering it, giving you um, a respectful, loving answer to the request that you've made of me. E submission is essential to faith. There is no true faith in God without submission. I choose to rely upon God even when I don't understand. Have you ever been in a situation <laughs> where you didn't understand what God was doing? Of course. We all have been in that situation many, many times. Lord, what on earth are you doing? Why did you allow this? How is it that this happened? We don't understand, Lord. The Bible is full of that. Men and women of God who just simply did not understand what God was doing. So faith brings me to the point where even when I don't understand, I submit. Submission is essential to obedience. Obedience calls on me to love God and trust him. So I love him, I trust him, I submit to him, I obey him. 
Submission is a quality of the soul. Now this is critically important because it begins to get us into the uh, area of character. So submission is a quality of the soul or it's a characteristic of character. And for that reason, submission to God and submission to others are very closely related because they come from the same root. The capacity to submit is formed in character. That capacity calls, causes me to submit to God. The very same reality within me brings me to submit to my brother and sister and to other people. Submission is a quality of the soul. God's leaders are characterized by submission. We learn to submit to God and we learn to submit to others. Submitting to others prepares me to receive submission from others. Worth saying again. As I learn to submit to others, the character reality is formed within me to prepare me to be able to receive in a healthy way the submission from others. By contrast, a non-submissive attitude is fueled by character immaturity. So the person who can't submit is reflecting um, character inadequacies. Self-life is ruling. See, if I can't submit to you, then who am I submitting to? Well, I'm submitting to myself. So the self-life is ruling. In Christ's way, God's life is ruling. So think of those two possibilities. Self is on the throne. I'm going to have trouble submitting. God is on the throne. I submit to God, therefore I can submit to others. Submission cannot be demanded or forced. It can only be chosen. Submission is the free choice of a heart formed in Christ-likeness. So again, when I submit, that doesn't mean I'm agreeing. Submission is relational. I submit relationally. We find a kind of litany of submission in Ephesians 5, 21 to 6, 9. Uh, look at that passage sometime when you have uh, the time to do it. It's a beautiful, beautiful expression that Paul gives us of a wide-ranging um, group of examples of submission. So let me just go through this with you. Ephesians 5, 21 to uh, Ephesians 6, 9. Paul starts off, probably we all uh, have heard this, particularly you women. He starts off, wives submit to your husbands. Well, that verse has been used in Christian circles. Um, in some cases, in some very abusive ways. Wives, submit to your husbands. It's true, but you can't read that or understand that without the following statement. And you'll see, as we go through this, 
Paul parallels various um, relationships. So after Paul writes, wives submit to your husbands, here's the next statement. Husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church. So can you see that in a marriage, we've got these two people. We've got a husband and we've got a wife. And the husband is loving his wife as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? It was pretty, pretty, pretty deeply. And as the husband loves his wife as Christ loves the church, he awakens within her the capacity to submit to and to honor him. Now, the husband is going to be imperfect in that. So as the wife submits, she triggers in the husband the love for her as Christ loved the church. So we've got these two parallel interactive relationships going on where one supports the other. Now, here's another example. Paul keeps going. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. That's another statement that has, unfortunately, because it's been misunderstood, caused a lot of damage and hurt. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. So what have we got again? We've got fathers or parents raising their children in such a way that they're seeking not to violate their children's will. Again, the request. But the word to children, honor your parents and submit to them. And the book of Proverbs is full of this. Uh, Obey your parents. Receive the wisdom that comes to you through your father and mother. So children, parents, interactive. Now he goes on. Bond servants, obey your masters. So interestingly enough, Paul is not saying bond servants rebel against your masters. He's not saying that. If you find yourself as a bond servant, if that's the position of life you find yourself in, obey your masters. But here comes the word to masters. Masters, stop your threatening. Treat bond servants with respect, kindness, and love. So do you see how this manifests the kingdom? You come into this household in Roman times, and here's the owner honoring, loving, submitting to his servants. The servants honoring, loving, and submitting to the master. And this results in this beautiful manifestation of the kingdom of God where submission is visible to all. And so this gets us into this beautiful statement, submission is a love word. Submission is a love word. God submits to us. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in a minute. God submits to us. We submit to God. God is love. Out of his love, he submits to us. Out of our love for him, we submit to him. As character is formed in us, this capacity to submit begins to be expressed to other people. We express it to our spouse. We express it to our children. We express it to other members of the church. We express it to members of community. Whatever condition a person is in, we express love to them by submitting to and honoring them. Jesus combined true greatness I'm going to read to you now 
uh, one of my absolutely favorite passages on leadership from the leadership of Jesus out of Luke 22. Here's an introduction statement. Jesus combined true greatness, authority, humility, service, and submission in this wisdom regarding leadership. So listen to the words of Jesus. Now, these words, this, this, ex this, this experience that Jesus had with the 12 came right after he initiated the Lord's Supper. Right after that. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is my blood of the new covenant shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He just finished that. He just finished that. Then what do we read? A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded the greatest. <laughs> what impact do you think that had on Jesus? They were arguing who was going to be the greatest. And Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But it's not going to be this way among you. It isn't going to be this way among you. You are not to behave the way the Gentiles behave. You who I am training to be leaders in the movement that I've come to catalyze, you are not to behave in this way. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest. Let the leader as one who serves. For who is greater, the one who reclines at table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I... Jesus am among you as one who serves. Now, submission characterizes the persons of the Trinity. So, God is a community of persons. And so, what are the connections, the relationships, the quality of the relationships between members of the Trinity? God is love. Love is how the persons of the Trinity relate. The persons of the Trinity submit to one another in love. Now, just a few examples of that. The Father sent the Son. So we can imagine one day the Father came to the Son and says, I'm sending you on earth to become part of the material world that we created. And by the way, you're going you're gonna to end up being crucified. And the son's response was submission. The son submitted to the father. The son honors the father. But the father also honors the son and has given him all authority. You know, if you think about the father giving the son all authority, you could think of Matthew 28, verse 18, where Jesus says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. 
But I also love to think about John 13. Remember the scene that John describes for us in the 13th chapter of his gospel? It starts off by saying Jesus became aware that the Father had given all things into his hands. And that he had come from God and he was going back to God. And all things had been given into his hands. How did he respond? How would we have responded if we had become aware that God had given all things into our hands? How did Jesus respond? He laid aside his outer garment. He took a towel and wiped it around his waist. He took a basin, poured water into the basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet. So this person, to whom all authority had been given, responded by washing the feet of his disciples. The Spirit anointed the Son for his earthly ministry. The Son is going to go away so that the Spirit may come. Now think of that. Through his earthly ministry, the Holy Spirit anointed Jesus. Jesus' power, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. But now Jesus is going to go away so that the Holy Spirit can come. So what is the Holy Spirit going to do once he comes? The Spirit will not glorify himself, but will give all glory to the Son. So right now on earth, the Holy Spirit is working. He's doing all kinds of things, and Jesus is getting the glory. So the Holy Spirit is thinking, this is a bum deal that I've got. I'm doing all the work, and Jesus is getting all the glory. (laughs) Well, no. The persons of the Trinity don't relate in that way. They don't think in that way. They don't, they are not built in that way. They're working in submission to one another. The Son submits to the Father. The Father submits to the Son. The Spirit submits to the Son. The Son submits to the Spirit. And this beautiful interaction of the persons of the Trinity permeated with submission to one another is the example to the church. To know Christ is to experience him as this kind of person. Living in his presence, indwelt by his life, we gradually become like him. Submission rubs off. Now let's take just a couple minutes to think about Submission in the man Jesus, because here go, we're going to take a step or two back and we're going to say, look, we're learning leadership and we're learning leadership by looking at Jesus. So when Jesus was on earth, when he was a man, how did submission, how was submission manifested in his life? So just a couple of points. First of all, Jesus submitted to his parents. 
And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. Remember, they found him in the temple. What are you doing? You, you didn't come with us. I had to be here in my father's house. Come with us to Nazareth. So he went with them to Nazareth and was submissive to them. Um, Jesus submitted to John's baptism. Remember that? John's baptizing. He's saying, look, they ask him, you know, are you the Messiah? No, I'm not the Messiah. I'm here to prepare the way for the Messiah. There's one coming after me. I'm not worthy to tie the strap of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So here is John, and all of a sudden he sees Jesus coming toward him. And Jesus has come to receive John's baptism, and John says, Lord, I am not worthy to baptize you. I should be baptized by you. And Jesus said, I know I want you to baptize me. That fulfills all righteousness. Jesus submitted to John's baptism. Jesus honored the synagogue. Jesus was often found in the synagogue. He attended the synagogue. He taught in the synagogue. He went throughout Galilee preaching and teaching in their synagogues. Jesus honored the priesthood. He healed a man and told him, go to the priest and tell the priest what God has done for you and offer the sacrifice that Moses commanded. So Jesus honored the priesthood. Jesus showed respect for and paid the two drachma temple tax. They asked Jesus, should we pay the tax? Jesus said, yes. Jesus taught publicly in Jewish centers of worship. Do you remember when they came for him in the garden? And he said to them, why do you come with soldiers and swords and spears? I I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. In other words, everything that I've taught has been in public, and I taught in the temple, and I taught in the synagogues, and I, didn't, I haven't done anything in secret. I'm not here to lead a rebellion. Jesus submitted, in the sense that we're talking about, to the Judaism of his day. So this is a little confusing to us, maybe, because we think that Jesus was constantly fighting with the Jewish leaders. Jesus' issue with the Jewish leaders was they had strayed from the legacy of Moses, David, and the prophets, and they had inserted their own man-made religions, their own man-made traditions. So yes, Jesus, it's again back to this whole thing that submission does not mean we have to agree on everything. So Jesus constantly confronted the Jewish leaders with how they actually had left the true God-given legacy of Israel. Um, and Jesus gives a great example of this. Let me just read you this passage from Matthew 15. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. <laughs> they were all uptight about this. Jesus answered, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Jesus spoke prophetically to the Jewish leaders of his day, but he submitted to the decisions they would make. 
His eyes were fixed somewhere else. His eyes were fixed on the kingdom of his father. He was the king of the Jews. But submitting to the will of his father, he submitted to the will of the Jewish leaders in their rejection of him. So Jesus submitted to his parents. He submitted to the Jewish leaders. He submitted to the authority of Rome. He said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Perhaps no scene in this connection is more poignant than Jesus' interaction with Pilate, the Roman governor. So here's the scene. Pilate, the Roman governor. Jesus has been condemned by the Jewish leaders. They deliver him to Pilate. Why? They want him crucified. They can't crucify him. Pilate can crucify him. They deliver him to Pilate. Pilate examines him and realizes, you know, this man hasn't done anything. These people are delivering him because of envy. So at one point he says to Jesus, do you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. So Jesus submitted to the authority of Rome. And I think, to me, one of the most indelible scenes in this is Pilate standing before the crowd and saying, Who shall I release to you? Shall I release to you the king of the Jews? No, they say, we want Barabbas. And then Pilate says, they say, crucify Jesus. So Pilate says, shall I crucify your king? And the Jewish leaders cry out, we have no king but Caesar. And at that point, Jesus could have called 12 legions of angels. But he submitted to the authority of Rome. Jesus submitted to the choices of others. He allowed people to make their own decisions. He even submitted to Judas' intention to betray him. Jesus gave Judas, during the Last Supper, Jesus gave Judas the morsel. And he looked in Judas' eyes and said, Judas, what you're about to do, do quickly. Jesus could have overridden Judas. But he submitted to the choices that Judas made. Do you see how incredibly significant this is in our relationship with Jesus? I think of my own relationship with Jesus. I have known Jesus for decades. How often has Jesus submitted to my wrong decisions? I have acted out of arrogance. I have acted out of pride. I have acted out of every imaginable, evil, wicked thing. And Jesus has not condemned me, not destroyed me, not cast me off. He has submitted to those foolish, wise, evil decisions. 
and has responded with the work of grace that has brought me to where I am. And where I am, I have a long way still to go. Jesus submitted to the choices of others. Jesus submitted to abuse. Many of his followers abandoned him. The Jewish leaders rejected him. The Roman soldiers mocked him. The crowds called for his crucifixion. He submitted. Jesus submitted to the cross. So there's this beautiful verse in Hebrews 12. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. What was the joy that was set before him? For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Okay, we are begin to come to an end of the <clears throat> things we want to say this morning by talking just a little bit about submission and Christian unity. Christian unity is really important to Jesus. How do we know that? Well, in John 17, we have recorded the high priestly prayer of Jesus. And in that high priestly prayer, he prayed for the unity of the church, the unity of his body, the unity of his followers. Lord, I pray not only for these. I pray for all those that you will give me that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they may all be one, that the world might know that you sent me. So one of the most powerful forms of evangelism is Christian unity. When people can see in Christian unity, the kingdom of God becomes visible. I can see what's going on. And submission is key to Christian unity. And character is key to submission. And that's why there will be no Christian unity without the formation of Christ-like character in the heart. Because unity is an expression of Christ-likeness. Um, the oneness that Jesus prayed for among his followers is not, in its essence, organizational. It is relational. It is not everyone thinking alike. It is everyone loving each other submitting to each other. Not everybody thinking alike. We're not going to think alike. You ever notice that? Anybody here married? I've been married for a long time. I love my wife dearly. We don't think alike in a lot of areas. But there's something greater than not thinking alike. And that is submitting to one another and loving one another. Biblical submission is an expression of Christ-like character. It is the pathway which leads to Christian unity. Leaders no longer want to compete. See, this is the problem. How big is your church? Oh, my church is bigger. 
or, oh dear, my church is not as big as your church. Leaders don't want to compete anymore. Don't have any heart for that. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's not appealing. Why would I want to compete? Leaders no longer want to be better. I'm better than you. My organization is better than you. Leaders no longer want to be right. Any doctrine without love fails the test of biblical truth. Something essential is missing. May I say that again? Any doctrine without love fails the test of biblical truth. Something essential is missing. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Have you ever heard people say men don't cry? Well, it's not true. Especially old men. Old men cry. Something essential is missing. Leaders have followers. When leaders submit to one another in love, followers learn to do so as well. So here's the role of leaders in Christian unity. Leaders are responsible to bring the church together. We have that responsibility. It's Christ's heart. We are leading in his name. Our responsibility is to bring the church together. How do we do that? By arguing? That's not going to do it. We don't, we don't bring the church together by arguing. We don't bring the church together by winning. We bring the church together by modeling submission, loving humility and submission to one another. Um, let me read to you, I've, I've taken a passage here from Ephesians 4. It's a really significant passage to me that um, contains within it the teaching on the fivefold ministry callings of Ephesians 4. Let me just read you these words. Some is, some is missing, but I've edited this down so it's more concise. But this is all from Ephesians 4, 11 to 16, if you want to check it out. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Why? To equip the saints until we all attain to the unity of the faith. So what is the purpose of equipping the saints? What are we equipping them for? We're equipping them to bring them to the unity of the faith, to mature manhood. Lack of unity, quarreling, division, strife, all this is immaturity, it's childishness, it's, it's, it's Christ unformed in the life. So that we may no longer be children. Rather, we are to grow up. So there's a place, brothers and sisters, for leaders to say, in all humility and in all kindness and in all gentleness and all love, to say to Christ people, grow up, grow up. And as we grow up into full maturity in Christ, a beautiful, wonderful, indescribably precious unity will permeate throughout those who name Christ as their Lord.
Expanding this teaching might look something like this. Apostles submitting to other apostles. Apostles not trying to be better, but submitting to other apostles. Apostles submitting to prophets, evangelists, teachers, and pastors. Prophets submitting to apostles. This whole thing of apostles and prophets. What is the answer to competition and disagreements and arguings and contempt. The answer is submitting to one another, loving one another, honoring one another. Elders submitting to apostles and prophets and other elders. Bishops submitting to bishops. Now, we all come from different Christian traditions. I'm personally part of the Anglican tradition. We have bishops. Others of you have bishops. Roman Catholics have bishops. Eastern Orthodox have the equivalent of bishops. But, but non-denominational churches also have recognized leaders that are serving an oversight role. So what we need, what will be very helpful, is bishops submitting to bishops. Where bishops submit to bishops or overseers submit to overseers, unity is going to spread. Bishops submitting to priests, priests submitting to deacons, pastors submitting to other pastors, missionaries submitting to pastors, men and women submitting to each other. Men and women submitting to each other. <laughs> leaders from the West submitting to leaders from the majority world. And the list could go on and on. Let me close by interacting with you for a minute on a picture that just popped up out of our past, Hannah and my past. Some of you know that my wife is a German Jew who survived the Holocaust. Her parents were gassed to death in Kelmno, Poland as part of the Holocaust. And we, on one occasion, were praying around the city of Cologne because that's the last place that Hannah lived with her parents as a seven-year-old child before she was evacuated to England without her parents. And there was a group of us praying in Cologne, near a park, right in front of the place where Hannah and her parents had lived in 1939, right across the street from the Rune Synagogue, a really important synagogue in Cologne. And a group of Germans praying. They were praying. We prayed throughout the city. And as I looked at that picture of a group of us standing around, in the middle was a Messianic Jew, that's Hannah. She was the shortest. But standing very next to her was a Roman Catholic priest, very godly man who'd spent his whole life as a missionary in Africa. Next to him were two German state church Protestant leaders. Next to them was a woman, and her husband was taking the picture, who's a leader among the non-denominational churches in Germany. Next to him was a woman who is a, a Lutheran uh, clergy person. And also, I was there, I'm Anglican. So all of a sudden, there we were. Messianic Jew, Roman Catholic, state church Protestant, 
Anglican, free church, we say, in Europe or non-denominational church. And I had never thought about that before. That wasn't some kind of scheme to try to get some kind of ecumenical thing going. It wasn't that at all. We had just invited friends to pray with us. But the process of inviting friends to pray with us resulted in a group of brothers and sisters from all those different Christian traditions. God is at work to form submission in the heart of his leaders that his kingdom might spread throughout the earth. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we ask that you will do this work in us. Come, Holy Spirit, form Christ within us. Show us how to lead the way that he would lead. Work the capacity to submit to God and one another in us. And we will give you all the praise. We ask this, our Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.